Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Hello, everyone. Glad that you are here tonight. I love looking out at this group and seeing the amazing group of people here. Joins every Wednesday and the wonderful job that Dan and Mandy do here. And I want to thank Pastor Dan and Mandy for asking me to share tonight. So as you know, we'll be continuing our series tonight called anointed, anointed. And so in week one, Pastor Dan shared about the oil of transformation. And in week two, he shared about the oil of provision. And as we continue to learn about anointing, today's message is titled the oil of purpose, the oil of purpose. There's something that we sit up at night sometimes thinking about that makes us compare ourselves to others sometimes, that makes us take account of the years that we've lived here on earth and maybe the amount of time that we have left. And that word is purpose. And it's so often thrown around in this world as this abstract kind of thing that we can't try really to figure out, but we know we need to have one. And the thing is, we were created for purpose. Did you know that? We were created for purpose. It's built into our DNA. We are goal-oriented. God has given us the ability to use our brains to see into the future and to plan accordingly. We are different, right? I have a golden retriever at home, and sometimes I'm amazed that when she gets food on her mind, she seemingly can think a couple of steps ahead to get what she's looking for to eat, right? But they cannot think ahead the way that we can. They cannot put those pieces together and plan for the future. We can evaluate, we can rate things according to how they contribute to or detract from fulfilling that purpose. We make sacrifices based on that purpose. The problem is we have incorrectly defined purpose. We're going to talk about purpose tonight. Did you know that the original purpose of bubble wrap was a new hip and trendy wallpaper? Did anybody know that? Yep. Uh, 1957, the inventors of bubble wrap, they, they took, of course they did this, right? This just makes sense. They took two shower curtains and they glued them together, creating little air pockets in it. And they were supposed to be able to put it on the wall. And in 1957, this is going to be this amazing new style of wallpaper. And I will shock you by telling you it did not go over. I couldn't believe it. And so then they decided, of course, next best thing, if it's not wallpaper, it's a greenhouse insulation. So that's what it became, greenhouse insulation, until 1961, and a company called IBM began shipping some computers, and they needed something to protect their computers in their shipping boxes, and so it became what we love as bubble wrap now that we love to pop. Did you know that Frisbees were originally, anybody know? Pie tins. Frisbees were originally pie tins. So back in 1871, there was a guy named William Frisbee, right? And he founded a company called the Frisbee Pie Company. Just, I don't know, try to picture 1871 to me. Apparently, university students in that time decided that, hey, there's this pie tin at the end of my pie. We're going to go outside, throw it around in the back. And every time we throw this pie tin, we're going to yell, Frisbee! Fun, hey? That's a true story. I looked it up on the internet. Must be true. 
It wasn't until almost 80 years later that companies started developing flying disks that could go further and would be more accurate than these Pi tins. But you and I were created for a very clear purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God. It's when our lives are transformed and filled by the power of the Holy Spirit and we're living in obedience to his direction in our life that we find that sweet spot of purpose, right? When we know we're in the right place, we're right where God wants us to be. What will you do with that calling? Tonight we're going to look at two people who were anointed by God for his purpose and we're going to look at two kings in the Old Testament, King Saul and King David. All right, here we go. We're getting ready. Should I embarrass myself, Mandy? Where's Mandy? This is at Mandy's request. I'm going to embarrass myself right now. So there's a verse I'm going to read from called Romans 8. It's from Romans 8.28. And I shared this morning with the group, um, thinking it would just stay there with the group, about <laughs> something that when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I grew up in a youth group. And every youth group back then, as we do now, had a youth group name. And ours was called The Called. That's what we were, The Called, right? Calvary Assembly of God, me as a teenager in The Called. And as youth groups did back then, we had all kinds of like crazy songs and things that we invented and sang in front of the church. And so there was a rap song <laughs> that, that we were in, we, was invented for us and that us as kids were supposed to get up and be embarrassed and present before the congregation. And it was based on Romans 8.28. So I'm going to share it with you tonight just for Mandy's sake. And I was just trying out, figure how to do this. I figure I'm just going to lean into it here. So time warp here. Go back with me. 1989 or so, something like that. The golden age of church youth group cheese, right? Right there, the sweet spot, 1989. I need you to give me a beat here because at that time we just had this old church organ and this organ tried to play this weird 1989 hip-hop, made it even worse, right? So you're going to clap with me, all right, as so I'm going to break this down for you. Is that what you say? All right, so there you go. Just like that, yep. Perfect. Romans 8, 28, the word says to us, all things work together for the good of those in Christ who are called according to his purpose, called to be set free, called to be a blessing, called are you and me, hey! <laughs> thank you, thank you. And that will be forever memorialized on a podcast of this lesson that you can listen to later on. Do you like it, Mandy? Was that good? All right, Mandy loves it. <laughs> Continuing on, Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who, are, who love God, all things work together for good. Let me read that again. And we know for that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his what? His purpose. This good that it talks about, this purpose, is it, it isn't your comfort or your possessions or your title or your reputation. It's not saying that, hey, if you live for Christ, that he's going to work everything together. You're going to have a big house and a new car and the whole deal, right? When he's talking about good, he's, this good means becoming more like Jesus, it's a closer fellowship with your creator. It's the ability to bear good fruit, and ultimately, it's eternal life. We are called according to his purpose, and he works all things together for that good. Pastor Mark Batterson has a great quote on individual anointing as we speak about anointing tonight. I'm going to read it for you. It says, the anointing is the difference between what you can do and what God can do. 
It's the place where the power of God and the favor of God intersect. It's the difference between the natural and the supernatural. It's the difference between the temporal and the eternal. It's the difference between success and failure. The place of anointing is symbolic of the place where heaven literally meets earth. God doesn't leave us alone. This is the good news. God does not leave us alone to fulfill his purpose. He sends the Holy Spirit to anoint us and to empower us. That is really good news tonight. We hear this term thrown around the church a lot that we we say, we say, that was anointed, or you are anointed. And sometimes it's like a way of, a holy way of like paying somebody a compliment a little bit is what it becomes in the church. But in reality, it means I recognize that God is using a person or a thing beyond its natural abilities. I recognize that I'm hearing God speaking through you. Oh, that I would be anointed, that I would be touched by God, that he would multiply what he's already given me. It's such a blessing to know that I've been given um, a personality, right? That we were known before we were even conceived, before we were even in our mother's womb, that God knew us and he loved us. He knows our quirks. He knows our personalities. He knows our gifts and talents, and he adds on. He says, for my purpose, I'm going to use you the way I've created you, but I'm going to give you new gifts. I'm going to give you new abilities to fulfill the purpose that I've placed on your life. In the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to be hopping around 1 Samuel tonight, looking at Saul and David, the Israelites had asked God for a king so they could be like other nations. And God appeased them in this moment and said, I'm going to grant you a king. And he used the prophet Samuel in the book of 1 Samuel to find this king, to point out who would be the first king of Israel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 9, God told Samuel that he was sending a man who would be the first king of Israel, Saul, because, and I quote from the book here, I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. And then I want us to pick out some words in these verses I'm about to read that we're familiar with from the last couple of weeks. In 1 Samuel 10.1, it says, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil, and he poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I'm doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. Then verses 9 and 10, As Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart. And all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at at Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. So here's a guy named Saul. God has picked him out to be king over Israel. And a couple of key phrases we're looking at there. God fills him with power beyond his own. The verse there says, God gave him a new heart. Aren't you glad you've been made new today? When you're anointed by the Spirit, you become new. It gave him a new heart. It's an amazing honor that God would say to me, I love you and I made you in my image, but here I'm going to give you a brand new heart. Everything you need for everything I will ask you to do. And then it says the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul as well and as he began to prophesy. So as we know, Saul's career as king of Israel, uh, it quickly started on a downward spiral. If you're ever looking for a really good read, 1 Samuel is amazing. It should be made into a serialized TV series, right? Because there is just this amazing back and forth of comparing and contrasting the lives and ministries of Saul and of David. And here in one scene, you see Saul doing a good thing 
thing, and here you see David doing a good thing, and then you see Saul doing a bad thing, and then you see David doing a bad thing, and you see their paths cross, and this continues on throughout the book of 1 Samuel. But it actually, Saul's career started pretty strong. So at the very beginning, there was a king of the Ammonites who were enemies of Israel. His name was Nahash, um, and they had been oppressing a couple of the Israelite tribes in a certain area of the land. So this was a thing with Nahash. Sorry, I'm just going to read it the way it is. Nahash's thing was that he gouged out the right eye of everybody in those lands and those tribes and didn't allow them to leave or for anyone to rescue them, and then Nahash kept pushing it. So he advanced on another Israelite town called Jabesh-Gilead, and when the town asked for a peace treaty because they were outnumbered and they were scared, the peace treaty that was offered to them was, okay, I'll leave you alone if everybody in your town gouges out their right eye. This guy, Nahash, he had a thing for right eyes. I don't know what it was, but that was what it was as a disgrace to Israel. So word got back to this newly anointed Saul, right, who was still at this point walking in God's power, seeking God's purpose for his life. And it says in 1 Samuel eleven six, 6, Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he became very angry. Saul stepped up in leadership then, and he mobilized over 300,000 troops. They got behind him. They came up against this king and the Ammonites, and they defeated them. They defeated them, and he did it in God's power. And Saul, in that moment, gave credit. God has given me the ability to overcome and to do this. And it wasn't just the point that the Israelites defeated the Ammonites. It's that Saul was completely dependent upon God's power for the purpose he was called to. Saul passed this test. He passed the test. He leaned into God's anointing not only to win the victory, but to make decisions and to show correct judgment in that moment. And then right after that, the Bible tells us that Saul was made king, the very first king of Israel. But then things started to go off the rails. Anybody that's familiar with that knows it didn't last very long for Saul. The, Philistine came against, the Philistines came against the Israelites. The Israelites were so scared of the situation that they actually went running and hiding in caves and holes. And Saul heard about it and knew he needed to do something. So he tried to rally the troops to go and defend Israel. He was told by God and the prophet Samuel that you wait here until Samuel arrives and then he will offer sacrifices, right, and burnt offerings so that you'll know what to do. You'll know how to approach the battle so that God will be with you. And Saul, in that moment, his heart starts straying, and he says, I'm scared, and I don't know what to do, and I've got to do something, and Samuel's not here. It seems like he's late, so I'm going to be the one to go ahead and make the burnt offerings and offer the sacrifices. So Saul does it. He offered them himself, and then Samuel arrived, and he rebuked Saul. And now we begin to see what is going on inside of Saul's heart. Remember, at the beginning, he was called by God for his purpose. He was anointed to serve, serve God and accomplish his purpose, he immediately begins, begins making excuses. Um, this is Saul speaking here in 1 Samuel 13, 12. Saul says, Now the Philistines, I said to myself, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. I want you to see the tone there in that verse. He first of all says, I have not sought the favor of the Lord. He hadn't been seeking God for favor or guidance. And then he says, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. He offered it basically as an attempt to appease God rather than fully trusting and obeying him. There's a little bit in there, a little hint of, I'll do what I want, and I can always ask for forgiveness later on. You can see Saul's heart beginning to turn. 
Samuel then, and we get we can play and understand the context of this a little bit with time, that at this time you can tell something has already been happening with Saul's heart, that he's turned away from God and God's purpose. And Saul rebukes, I'm sorry, Samuel rebukes Saul, telling him he's acted foolishly. Rather than God establishing Saul's kingdom, Samuel tells him God's going to find someone else. And that someone else was David. And so then begins the descent of Saul and the rise of David to king over Israel. God had changed Saul's heart, but now Saul's heart is flipping back and forth. And as you go through the book of 1 Samuel, you'll see sometimes he got it right with a good heart, very rarely. Sometimes he got it right by accident, but most of the time he was doing things on his own. He was taking shortcuts. He was making excuses. He was following God's direction only when it was actually convenient for him. His heart was clearly not aligned with God's. But you're going to see some parallels here between the testing of Saul that we saw and the testing of a guy named David. So fast forward to the anointing of David. Some of us know the story. Samuel was there with Jesse and his sons trying to identify who God's next anointed was, and he picks David out from among his brothers. And in 1 Samuel 16, 13 says, he took the flask of olive oil that he had brought, and he anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Does that sound familiar? Similar to what happened with Saul, right? And then we see the parallel first test here. Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. Goliath comes against the Israelites, this big nine-foot-tall monster guy. He taunts them. He's yelling across the battle lines. And again, indicative of where Saul's heart is at this time. It says that when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified. They were deeply shaken. They weren't walking in God's power anymore. They didn't hear God's voice in this. They weren't listening, obedient to him. They were scared. This shows us where Saul's at. Most of us probably know the story. David is Saul's armor bearer at that point and volunteers to fight Goliath. And David is unafraid. But look at where this braveness comes from in David. 1 Samuel 17, 47. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And then David defeats Goliath in God's power. So David passes this test. He's eventually anointed king over Israel. Do you see the parallel here? Samuel refers to David as a man after God's own heart. And this is where the paths of Saul and David diverge. They take different ways. David follows God's commands, lets God shape his heart, and is given the ability to fulfill God's purpose most of the time, right? We know that David had his problems, but David, his heart came running back to God, the one who had given him purpose. So I'm going to ask you tonight, what can we learn from the lives of Saul and David when it comes to God's purpose for our own lives? And there are parallels here that we can look at in our own lives. Number one, and share with you tonight, number one, we can learn from the stories of Saul and David to trust God's timing, to trust God's timing. It's the difference between waiting on God and doing things yourself, right? 
So we read that when Saul was confronted with a desperate situation, instructed to wait for Samuel, he was impatient. He took matters into his own hands. He decided he needed to do it on his own. This was a theme for Saul. He didn't see things developing the way that he envisioned them, so he knew in his mind that he needed to correct them. He got desperate, and he acted without first turning to God. There's a story about David and Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 24. I love this story. An amazing story of the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Saul at this point by, by chapter 24 was so jealous of David that he was just enraged with anger and jealousy toward him. At all costs, he would not let David take his throne. He was going to do everything he could. He knew that his end was near because he knew that God had rejected him. He knew that David was a newly appointed king, not yet on that throne. So he pursues David into the wilderness. And the Bible says literally he hunted David day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. And finally, he caught up with David. And it says that David hid in a cave, as you and I would at the same time when, Dave, when Saul and a bunch of men were trying to kill him. And sometimes the Bible gives us funny little details that take us back to being a middle schooler a little bit. I know some middle schoolers. I've had some middle schoolers in my house. I sometimes have been known to act like a middle schooler. It just depends. We go back to just being a middle schooler, and you'll, you're going to see what I mean in just a minute. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 3 says, And at the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. <laughs> and there, everybody's supposed to laugh. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. So here's the situation. Isn't this interesting? David is hiding from Saul, afraid for his life. Saul's going to kill him. And then here comes Saul approaching the cave. They're all thinking, this is it. I'm going to die. And Saul was using the cave to go to the bathroom. All right. So the men were there with David, of course, like any, I guess, good friends would do, saw an opportunity, and they said to David, take advantage of the situation today. They said, today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David, like, was testing this out a little bit, trying to figure it out. He crept forward, and he cut off a little piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Now, I want you to, now back to the middle school thing here. Let's, let's do a timeline here. So it doesn't take a big leap to figure out what Saul was doing because, like, there was the time where he went into the cave and then David had time to consult with his people and then David had time to, like, creep forward and then very carefully, unnoticed, cut off the bit of his robe. So I'm going to say that there's a good chance that Saul needed a little more fiber in his diet, possibly. Maybe, all right. It then says, but then, and here we go. And so this is David's heart. We're going to get a glimpse into David's heart here. It says, but then David's conscience began bothering him because he'd cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. It's that conscience, right? That moment. Think about it. Saul was waiting. He was, or, or David was waiting. He was like, my time is here. God has told me. Samuel has told me I'm the anointed one. And yet still, after all this time, I have this crazy king hunting me down. He's lost his mind, right? And I had this opportunity here to just end it and to move on. But he recognizes that he's living God's purpose. And that when God wants to do it, he's going to let God do it. David then uses the part of his robe that he cut to show Saul that he'd spared his life and even is trying to reason with Saul. So he calls out from the cave down to Saul. 1 Samuel 24, 12 and 15 says, May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will not harm you. 
May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. So even though David could have taken something himself, he waited on God's perfect timing. When Jesus rose on the third day, he was with and he's appearing to his disciples and he was beginning to instruct them on what they should do, on what their purpose was. They were celebrating the resurrection of their Savior and Jesus was telling them, you're going to go out into all the world and share the good news. But what did he say they had to do first? They had to wait, right? Wait. Luke 24, 49 says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit, this is Jesus speaking, just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. I do this a lot when I'm reading through the Bible. I think about, I create scenarios, and I think in my mind, what would have happened if the disciples had acted true to character all the way up to that point when hearing Jesus' command there? And they had just decided, hey, wait a minute, we need to form a committee. We've got a job to do. Let's figure this out on our own. Let's figure out our evangelizing strategy, and we're just going to go do it, waiting, whatever. We can get this done on our own. What would have happened? I'm pretty sure God's purpose would not have been accomplished in the same way. It would have been accomplished, but it probably would have been accomplished through someone else. But they waited. They waited. Because they waited for God's anointing of the Holy Spirit, they were given the power to fulfill God's purpose. The power to fulfill his purpose. There will be temptations in our life to take shortcuts. There will be temptations as you look back in your life and you look at other people and say, hey, why are they there and I'm here? You know, why is this happening to me and not to them? I felt like this was something that God was calling to in my life and nothing's happening. Like I'm not getting where I wanted to. When I envision this in my future, it's not working out the way that I wanted it to. So I'm just tempted to either just go do something else or like come up with an answer on my own. Wait for the oil of God's anointing and be obedient even when it feels like nothing's happening. God didn't move I'm sorry, David didn't move ahead of God and God accomplished his purpose through him. Number two, second thing we can learn from the story of Saul and David is that to trust God in the midst of confusing or difficult circumstances. To trust God in the midst of confusing or difficult circumstances. In 1 Samuel chapter 28, a huge Philistine army descends upon Israel's camp And by this time, Saul is long gone, right? And Saul, it says, is frantic with fear. He is desperate, doesn't know what to do. He doesn't have the covering of God. He doesn't trust in God anymore. He's freaking out because it's all coming to an end. He's frantic with fear. Another translation says, his heart literally trembled. And then verse 6 says, he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord still did not answer him. It was at this point where it was like it was just token stuff. His heart was far from God. He was trying anything he could. Oh, Lord, help me here in this moment, even though I haven't asked you anything. And God wasn't even listening to him at that point. His heart was so far from God that his attempts at obeying God were pretty much for show or they were for ritual. So the Bible tells us in one of the saddest portions here of this whole story that Saul went and consulted with a medium, someone who could consult with the spirits of the dead. In desperate situations, Saul put his trust in pretty much everything but God. Even though David had very brave words for Goliath, David went through some hard times too. You know, I love 
the book of Psalms. How many love Psalms? I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll just tell you all day about how much I love Psalms. What I love about Psalms is when you see in the words of David and others who wrote psalmists in the book of Psalms is that David doesn't hold anything back. He doesn't censor the feelings he's having. It's like an open journal, right, for all to see. And we can see David's struggles. We see some whole chapters of Psalms where he's saying, Lord, why are you letting my enemies do this to me? I'm quaking in fear here in this moment. I don't know where to turn. When are you going to show up, God, and do something and rescue me in this moment? But what I also love about Psalms is that you get to the very next one, and David's reminding his own heart. He's telling himself, but wait a minute. No. Be still, my heart. Don't fear. Know where you put your hope. Know where you put your trust. He's your rock. He's your salvation. Lord, I depend upon you for rescue. And no matter what happens, I know you will be with me. We see glimpses of this and some of the wording that we're seeing with anointing in the famous Psalm 23. And I'll just read a couple verses from it, 4 and 5. He's saying here, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you're close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and they comfort me. You prepare for me a feast in the presence of my enemies. You honor me, and look at the words here, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. You anoint my head with oil. And really cool, if you look into the meaning of what this is saying here, the anointing with oil here is actually supposed to evoke an image of hospitality. So in ancient times, at dinner, the host actually anointed his guest's head with oil. And I look at that and I'm like, I, if you invited me over for dinner and I showed up at the door and you started pouring oil on my head, right, I might turn around and walk away. But I mean, they didn't have shampoo back then. They didn't have product back then. So like maybe it helped a little bit, right? So that oil, though, is mixed with perfumes to refresh and to soothe weary travelers. That was the point, to refresh and to soothe them. David said to the Lord, you anoint my head with oil because he regarded himself as God's special guest. What an intimate way of portraying that. David had been invited to dine at the Lord's table, and that table was a place of safety. He said, my cup overflows. Contrast that to the panic state of Saul's heart all the time. There'll be moments in your life where you have no idea how all the pieces are fitting together. There will be times when God is telling you and you feel strongly that the path is laid out before you. You've been obedient. You've followed what he's wanted you to do and things are going wrong. And we've all went through it. We've all gone through those valleys. We've all had those moments where we said, Lord, have, have you just left me here? What's going on? I don't hear you anymore. Like, why am I going through this? This other person over here, like, they seem to be doing the same thing and everything's going right for them and everything is going wrong for me. But that's why I love Psalms so much. David specifically has so many moments of raw emotion, but he often wonders where God is, but he always comes to a place where his heart trusts in God anyway. And there's a verse in Psalms that I come to all the time that I love that is so simple, yet it is so profound. Psalm 56.3, and this is such so emblematic of David's heart. Psalm 56.3, he simply says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I'm so thankful that we can put our trust in God when we're afraid, when we don't see where the path is leading, when it feels like we're surrounded on all sides. And then finally, what we can see from the lives of Saul and David and from these stories, number three, is that David realized he was part of God's story 
But for Saul, it was all about him. There's a story about Saul defeating the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15. God had commanded Saul to completely wipe them out and spare nothing. So these were complete enemies of God. They were evil. God was going to wipe them out as a people. That was what he was instructed to do. Yet Saul, in a very Saul-like way, um, spared the king. And then it says that he took all the good stuff. He says he kept all the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and the fat calves and the lambs and everything, in fact, it says that appealed to him. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Then it says that when confronted, here's Saul again, early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. He's telling him, what did you do? God told you not to do this. Someone told him, um, Saul went to the town of Carmel right after this to set up a monument to himself then he went on to Gilgal. So he was doing whatever he wanted to do, whatever looked good in his own mind, looking out for number one and concerned with his reputation and how he would look so much that he set up a monument to himself. To Saul, the story was about him. When we make it about ourselves and what we want, we create idols. And we make seeking purpose about our own purpose, right? Remember there at the beginning when we talked about purpose, looking for purpose? When it's not God's purpose and it's our own, we begin to make idols like Saul. Mark Batterson, the one I quoted for earlier, again, he says, We seek worship in more subtle ways. We exaggerate on our resume. We put down others behind their back. And we tell little white lies to hide the gray areas in our lives You'll try to fight your own battles. You'll try to create your own opportunities. You'll try to establish your own reputation. And you'll quickly learn that manipulating is exhausting. Manipulating is exhausting. It is exhausting trying to write your own story the way that you want it to look. But David knew. He said, I want you to write my story, God. I don't know where it will be end, where it end up. I don't know how tomorrow's going to go. But all I know is that when I'm afraid... I'll put my trust in you. The word Christ. Do you know what Christ means? The word Christ literally means anointed one. Anointed one. The prophet Isaiah, when prophesying about the Messiah, he said of Jesus, the spirit of the Lord, and this is Jesus speaking in the prophecy, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be free. He was anointed to do the Father's work and he fulfilled that call perfectly. And I thank God for it, that our sin is wiped away, that it's paid for on the cross, that we have been given new life. And now as a result of what Jesus has done, that same spirit that was at work in Jesus is now at work in us and in our hearts. Amen. What a wonderful thing. I love when Jesus just flat out tells his disciples, he basically says, you should be glad because when I'm gone, something, somebody else is coming greater than me. Someone who's going to fill your life and just speak to you and be with you all the time. My Holy Spirit is going to infill you. It's going to instruct you. It's going to empower you. And then the disciple John, when he goes on to be an apostle and he's writing the epistles to the different churches in 1 John 2.27 he says, but the Lord, uh, but, I'm sorry, but the anointing that you received from him, from Jesus, abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. 
Jesus is calling us today to abide and rest in the power of his spirit. And that is how we find purpose. Romans 8, 28, I'm not going to wrap it, right? It says, um, I know I'm just blanking it. All things work together for the good who are in Christ who are called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose. If we follow his purpose, he will make our path straight. I love, there's a great way of putting it, and, and sometimes we look at life and we say, well, I don't know. Like, well, how do I know that I'm on God's path? How do I know that I'm following God's purpose for my life? It's hard for me to see, and I have this habit at night where I lay awake and I think about, well, what if I had done this differently, or what if I'd done this, or what about the right and the left path? Which one do I take? Eugene Peterson called it, and I'm going to describe it here tonight. He called it, we're to make a long obedience in the same direction. And the way that I like to put that is when people ask me, well, how do I find out what God's will or purpose is for my life? I say, today, get up this morning and tell the Lord, thank you for the life that you've given me. I'm going to be obedient to you today. Jesus, when you tell me what to do, I'm going to listen today. I'm going to listen. I'm going to stay in your word. I'm going to stay with you. And then tomorrow, when I wake up, I'm going to choose to be obedient. I'm going to stay walking in your power. And then the next day, when I get up, I'm going to decide that day that, Lord, that day I am going to be obedient to you. And before you know it, day after day after day of obedience, we look around and we find ourselves exactly where God wants us to be, right in the middle of God's purpose a long obedience in the same direction. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the spirit that anoints us with purpose. Lord, on our own, we are scared and we're confused. We try to live up to the, Lord, the world's standards. We look around us and we see sometimes the evil victorious. And Lord, we struggle sometimes and we look for purpose and we don't know what to do and we think about our reputation. We think about the person next to us. We think, well, what if there was a biography written of me? I would be written off as a failure. Or look, time is running out. What am I going to do? But Lord, we thank you that you have called us, that you have knitted us together perfectly, and you have called us to live according to your purpose. And you don't just leave it at that, Lord, but you infill us with the power that we need to fulfill that purpose. Lord, that our heart would be like David's, that we would do the right thing, that we would see two paths and we would choose the one that you provide, that you lead us down, Lord, even though sometimes, Lord, it doesn't always work out perfectly, even though sometimes there's obstacles everywhere and we fear, we know in those moments of fear, we put our trust in you. And thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the indwelling of that spirit while we await your coming, Lord, to fill us daily, to change us from the inside out. We thank you that over the years of being obedient to you, you're making us a new creation. You're making us into who you want us to be. Lord, we want to live according to your purpose. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now I pray for each of us in the coming week as we discuss this, as we roll this around in our head, that we would remember the stories of Saul and David and we would choose to be David in the story, a man after God's own heart, that we would follow you with all of our heart. Thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your purpose. Amen.
Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.